She's a champion rower on the world stage with more accolades than can be counted during her stellar career. But who could forget that race at the Tokyo Olympics? Emma Twig claiming a gold medal for New Zealand in the single skulls. Crowds back home gathered to watch were on their feet with excitement. Grown men like Eric Murray cried. If it was an emotional moment for us, imagine how surreal it felt for Emma Twig at 34, having been to four Olympics. This was her first medal. Having given up, then come back to rowing, facing many challenges along the way. And now she joins me. Kia ora, Emma. Hi, how's it going? Very well. Thank you so much for joining me. You're, uh, you're enjoying a little bit of downtime now after the Olympics? Yeah, I've been very lucky to have had a couple of months of just cruising around uh, New Zealand, getting to catch up with family and friends and not really thinking about rowing, which has been really nice. Oh, that's so good because it's such a different time for you right now, isn't it? You came back, there was a bit of a lockdown, but this lockdown must be quite different to the last lockdown. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, we were lucky to not be in lockdown before Tokyo. Looking back, you know, I, I think that it's so lucky that we didn't have any kind of interruption in that really intense time leading into Tokyo. We did, of course, the year before that um, with the postponement of the Games. And so during that lockdown, we were training hard and trying to essentially do what we did uh, on the water daily in our, in our home gyms and ergs. So this one's been much different. I've, um, I've actually quite enjoyed this one. <laughs> Absolutely. I think I saw some Instagram posts of yours through lockdown. You were getting quite creative with the old uh, workouts in your in your house, weren't you? Yeah, you did have to get creative. Um, keep it kind of fresh and interesting because rowing on the erg is not exciting um, at the best of times. Well, let's go back to the Olympics. You said it was surreal at the time and it's taken a while to sink in. Has it sunk in yet? Uh, yeah, I think it has. I think um, on reflection and in, especially sitting in MIQ and, and like absorbing that, that whole um, couple of weeks, um, I guess I just have a real sense of pride about what I'd achieved finally, um, what I knew that I always uh, could do. Um, and so, yeah, it has sunk in. I haven't probably got to share my medal with as many people as I would have hoped to in this time. Um, but personally, it's been a, a really nice time of reflection. Yeah, absolutely. So when you say it's sunk in, you, you, I mean, tell us, talk us through what it was like from, from winning to, to say now, what have you reflected on? Uh, I guess for me, my, my story has been a really long, um, long one, 20 years of work and um, ups and downs and yeah, moments uh, where I have wondered whether I should continue, uh, whether I actually did, you know, lots of, lots of moments of self, self-doubt, um, wondering whether I did have what it took to, to be an Olympic champion. Um, obviously I went away from the sport, I came back. Um, and so kind of sitting back and reflecting now, and, and like I said before, the sense of achievement and satisfaction um, that I could do it. And that hopefully I've inspired um, a few other people to kind of either pick, pick the tools back up or um, keep, keep at what they're doing and, and push on and know that yeah, if you've got a dream, then for sure you can achieve that. I think you've definitely inspired a lot of people. We've been to four Olympics. What did you do differently this time? Um, I think this time I, I sent, uh, felt a real sense of calm and um, confidence, I guess, leading into the games that I hadn't probably in previous um, games. And I think a lot of that came from the team of people that I had around me. Um, people that believed in me even when sometimes I didn't believe in myself. Uh, and yeah, I just knew that we had, we set out to, in this Olympic cycle to really tick off every single box, um, really focus on the detail and do things that in the past I knew I couldn't have done because of certain decisions that had been made um, for me. 
so yeah it was just a, a real team effort and when I lined up in Tokyo I, I knew that um, I'd done everything that I possibly could and I knew that if I raced the best race that I could then I'd, I'd come out on top and, and that's kind of the way that it transpired. Do you think that comes with maturity what you're talking about the experience of knowing what it's like does that come with maturity or can you get that just by mentally preparing yourself? I think a, a lot of it does come from experience and, and maturity and having experienced other things in life as well, knowing what, what is required of you um, and what kind of makes you tick as well. But in saying that, there's, you know, there's all sorts of Olympic champions out there that show up at their first Olympics and they achieve what they want to. So um, yeah, mine's definitely been a, a journey of discovery, I guess, but um, also, uh, you know, my, my big um, rock, I guess, in coming back to the sport was to be able to look back and just have no regrets and, um, in previous Olympic campaigns, I definitely did have regrets uh, in this one, I didn't. So that's, I guess, where the, the real satisfaction comes from. Talk us through your race prep. Have you, are you one of these people that's got the same thing, the same routine that you do every single time, or are you a bit more relaxed? I'm definitely a relaxed person. I like to uh, be relaxed and chat to people around me about things non-rowing related. And um, this time around, actually, I was really conscious about who I'd sit next to on the bus and what we'd talk about and um, a lot of what we did on race day, we, we have drilled, drilled into us at all of these practice regattas and World Cups. And every time we race, we're essentially doing the same thing um, before we get on, a, on the water, whether it be a club regatta or a world champs. So um, we're very process driven, uh, kind of go through it for a race. I'll go back from the start of my race and write down where I need to be and, and what I need to be doing. Um, but yeah, it's definitely for me about relaxing and um, kind of absorbing the moment. And are you a big goal setter? Uh, yeah, I think I think you've got to be a big goal setter. Do have dreams and aspirations, um, and yeah, even as a as a written on my computer that I look back every now and then, um, and and generally they're all focused around the same things, you know, improving my ergs, two k ergs score, or getting a faster time on the water, or getting fitter or stronger. Um, so there's you know there's some similarities um, throughout all of them, and and probably. The same thing that appeared on every single one of those documents was become a world champion, uh, Olympic champion, uh, world champion and Olympic champion. Uh, and, you know, that remained there for, for 15 odd years, I guess. Amazing. So just getting to the Olympics was a feat in itself with COVID and then your coach was involved in a terrible car accident. How do you deal with those things that are outside your control? Yeah, it was a real roller coaster of a couple of years. Um, Obviously, the postponement of the games was was part of that, but actually leading up to that, Mike had a, a terrible car accident, which actually put a question mark over his head as to whether he would be um, with me in Tokyo. So, you know, looking back, I think everything happens for a reason with hindsight. Um, and I think it's important to, to, I guess, remain present and, and just make sure that every single day we're doing the detail really well, because if you you know, get caught up in, in a disappointment or decide that, you know, it's, it's, you're not going to train one day or, or for a week, then that's kind of what catches up on you um, down the track. So I think people around me kept me pretty grounded during those times and, and having that big goal to work towards was really crucial. But it's not to say that there weren't some really tough times and days where I just didn't want to do it. Absolutely. Like, and how do you put it behind you? How do you say, okay, that wasn't a great ride. I'm just going to focus on the next race now. I think it depends on the the gravitas of what has just happened. You know, like a fourth placing at an Olympic Games, 
takes a little while to to get over as opposed to having a you know bad session in the morning um but i guess they're they're all the same in some regard and, and it's about i guess learning from what didn't go well um and then making sure that the next day you're doing doing a little bit better um i guess a lot of for me a lot of it was um a lot of self-reflection and and honest self-reflection and realizing what i needed to do better from previous olympic campaigns and then even in that Tokyo campaign, um, our team was really honest uh, individually with each other about what we needed to, to sharpen up so that we could be where we needed to be. Oh, that's great. And I guess that culture as well is really important within a team, isn't it? I mean, you are obviously in a single boat, but it's still you're part of a big team. Yeah, when, when I talk about my team, I talk about the people that I had around me, these experts that, you know, my strength and conditioning coach or my nutrition expert or physiology um, and, and, you know, led by my, my coach. So um, I'm an individual, yes, but I certainly wouldn't be able to achieve what I have without those people. And then, you know, outside of that, again, is the New Zealand rowing team and, man, those those other boats and, and other people in that team were so instrumental in, in my success um, just through turning up daily and, and being the benchmark for me to work off. So um, I guess that's the special and unique thing about the, the team that we have at the moment. And what about being at the Olympics and not having any family there? Your wife, Shah, she couldn't go. I mean, how hard was that? Yeah, it was a strange one. And I think one that we'd mentally prepared for leading into it. We knew what we were, we were going into and we knew we wouldn't have people there. Um, our sport isn't one that is, you know, full of fanfare, but... It was it was really heartbreaking actually sitting in the the bus on the way to the rowing venue and seeing these venues that were just empty, um, and having worked uh, on the other side of um, the sport I guess and understanding the effort that goes into putting a games on and the finance um, that that Japan had invested it was um, it was really sad when you're in, in the boat and in the zone there's not a lot going on outside of of what's going on in the boat so. Yeah, I, I felt for the athletes in the big stadiums where you could probably hear a pin drop. Um, but for us, it, it wasn't too much of an impact. And thank goodness for things like Skype and video calls, you can pretty much contact um, anyone when, when you want to. Did you have any idea of the pandemonium that was going on back in New Zealand? <laughs> Not really, little bits. And actually one of the first videos that I was sent um, was the one with with yourself and Eric um, and his reaction. And yeah, it was, I mean, it was obviously a very emotional time um, when I was on the podium and in those few hours afterwards and I was getting calls from my um, from my, my people and the, the, the team that I didn't have in, in Tokyo. Um, and I think everyone I spoke to we were, we were pretty much blubbering to. Um, but yeah, seeing the, seeing the boys in tears, um, I guess that probably hit home to me that, um, you know, I'd, what I'd invested personally was a huge amount but it obviously showed to them and meant so much to them as well and to a lot of New Zealanders so that was yeah it was pretty pretty cool. It was really cool so looking back on that and you gave up the sport for a while and then you came back I mean how hard was that to come back to rowing? Um, to be honest it was quite an easy decision when I eventually made it because I realized the passion that I had for the sport um, yeah, and I guess it, it all happened um, in a timely fashion. I'd, I'd been away, I'd experienced working for the IOC over in Switzerland. Um, I went to a Winter Olympic Games and then again, you know, was immersed in the Olympics there in a very different experience. And that just reiterated to me what I wanted to do. Um, so the decision to come back was, was quite an easy one. But then there was times within those first few months where I really questioned that because 
my body was in in all sorts of pieces and and the you know there wasn't a lot of light at the end of the tunnel um and I just didn't know how long how quickly I would be back in shape but um it was amazing how quickly it all came back and when it did I just felt like I was in the right place Oh, that's great. So you mentioned the passion. So you obviously have the passion for rowing still, which is awesome. Let's take you right back when you first started. Your dad was a rowing coach. So did, I mean, I guess it was inevitable you were going to become a rower. Um, yeah, maybe not inevitable. I loved playing hockey and um, I actually, yeah, my first dream was to be a black stick. Ah. Um, Kayla Whitelock and Emily Naylor, who are now legends of the sport, were my fierce competitors at Palmy Girls High School when I was at Napier Girls High School. Um, and I kind of got into rowing through my brother. Um, Dad was a cox at school at King's College. And then he took up rowing when he grew at university and then ended up coaching my brother. And they both basically said to me, well, you've got really, really got no choice because you're tall and strong and, and you'd make a great rower. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I did, didn't love it to begin with, but I hung in there and, and here we are. Yeah, absolutely. So what didn't you like about it when you started? I think it's a really hard sport and as a novice you just you basically have to commit to a year of just um feeling a bit special in a, in a boat like lots of crabs being caught and water going in places that it shouldn't go um it's just a really technical sport and when you're used to just being good at things and picking up a stick and having some you know hand-eye coordination and things coming a little bit naturally uh, rowing is, is really hard like that so there were definitely moments where I, I questioned it but what I think held me there and attracted me to stay was just the, the friendship and the camaraderie and the, the team, um, again, the team of people there and, and of all different ages and stages. And it was just, yeah, it was pretty cool going away on regattas and weekends and, and being around such different people. Oh, that's great. Well, if you're looking back, if you were to say something to your young self when you started rowing or maybe you were an up-and-coming rower, what advice would you maybe give yourself or someone else that was starting out? Um, if it was a rower, I would definitely say to them that that things take time and there's a lot of irony in, that, in me saying that now, 20 years down the track, but even at a young age, um, I think you really want success quickly. You want things now. I guess that's just the, the way that we are wired now. Um, but in our sport, it's an endurance sport. It takes a lot of time. It takes um, time to create that endurance base and to learn the craft, that whole 10,000 10, hours concept. Uh, and I think pretty easy to, to give something up, but so much, so much greater when you've, you know, you've, you've faced some adversity as well. Absolutely. Outside of rowing, you know, personally, you've had some big moments. You got married to Charlotte, you bought a house, you're really settling in in Cambridge. I mean, has it been a great couple of years? Yeah, it, it certainly has been. It's been a big couple of years. Um, I feel like I've, I've found my feet a little bit. Um, obviously getting married is a pretty pretty big step and and yeah I feel like I'm at a place in, in my life now where um, I'm, I'm fairly content and and obviously proud of what I've achieved but um, I think what Charles taught me is that you know you need to kind of make the most of being present and, and take time to I guess smell the roses <laughs> as you'd say and um, yeah it's just a different different uh, way to look at life and um, I guess that's that's why even now I'm continuing in the sport because um, I still enjoy it. I still love it. And I still feel like I can give something back. That's so cool. You're also a, a big advocate of LGBTQIA rights. How hard was it you as a gay rower growing up in the sport back then? Yeah, it's a question that, that I get off, 
often asked and and to be honest um I feel very lucky that in our sport and within Rowan New Zealand I've been very supported um from that regard I think it is obviously a personal journey to get to a place to feel comfortable about talking about my sexuality and, and to being open about it um but that wasn't necessarily as a result of any negativity um amongst our team so I feel really lucky um to have you know got to that stage and had been so open um and now to, to feel like I'm in a position where I can really talk openly and hopefully help some young New Zealanders or, or people internationally um, just to, to create some, I think, um, normality and, and some, create some, some role models for some young kids who may be struggling. That's cool. And are you doing anything proactively about that? Do you get approached a lot by people? Um, yeah, we get, I get the odd message, which is, was awesome because, I mean, with social media these days, you can have direct contact with those people. Um, also, just, you know, speaking about it, talking on podcasts, um, I guess the more that people can hear a story and, and identify, um, that, that may help in, in any way. And, and honestly, if I could help one person, then that would be um, job done, you know. Well, that's really cool. High performance sport has faced a lot of criticism on how we deal with athletes and their mental space. Do you think that's being addressed a bit better now? Uh, I think I think it's a work in progress. Um, I think mental health in general is something that's being spoken about a lot across the board, and I think uh, it's been highlighted definitely in elite sport. And I guess that's the nature of the beast that we're in, that we're high performing athletes. There's a real singular focus. Um, going on in our in our brains and often it's really hard to dissociate between um, sport and and I guess what's going on in life Um, and so we do need support and it is being talked about more Um, and I think obviously beautiful Liv Podmore's death was something that um, really brought that to fore even more so it's unfortunate a topic now where I think our national sporting organizations are kind of putting that to the the top of their list of to those which I think is really important and, and hopefully will help athletes that are coming through our systems. What does the future now hold for you? I and mean, then looking ahead, what, what is there next to achieve? Um, so next to achieve is um, I've recommitted to rowing New Zealand for another year at least. And yeah, my, I guess moving forward, so long as I'm still enjoying the sport and I feel like I can contribute something and um, I'm happy doing it, then, then I'll keep going because I think it's a really limited time in your life to be trying to be the best that you can be uh, and to have some positive influence. So we can reconvene um, a little bit down the track with, with any other potential opportunities. <laughs> exactly. What's on the horizon next year? What, what championships are there? Uh, well, it's all very COVID dependent at the moment, but I think the idea is that we'll head over to Europe and do some World Cups and then a World Championships um, that happens in every year when there's not an Olympics. And then all of a sudden you're in an uh, Olympic qualification year because it's a short Olympic cycle, which is also a, a little bit of a um, carrot being dangled as well that we've got, I've got essentially two more World Champs before there's an Olympics. So that's almost what my, my cycle looked like last time when I returned kind of halfway through the cycle. So what do you think? Olympics in three years? Yes. Who knows? Who knows? I'm not going to say yes for sure, but it's something that I guess every day is, as I um, come out of my slumber of the last couple of months, um, it is more and more appealing. So we'll see how the next year goes. 
Oh, well, we can't wait to see what happens. Thank you so much for joining me today, Emma Twig, and all the best for the future. Thank you.